Welcome to the Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. Well, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid growing up, I went to a church that sang one particular song every single Sunday, without fail. In fact, due to the song's lyrics, it always served as the introduction to the greeting time that followed. I don't know if you know this song, it's kind of been lost uh, over the past couple decades, but it went like this. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. And then afterwards, we'd sing that song, and immediately people would start greeting each other. And the place was a buzz. It was electric. It was alive. Because people were enjoying being part of the family of God together. I think sometimes if we don't focus on this, it can get lost. So many Christians today think it's kind of just Jesus and me. It's just me following Jesus. But the truth is, God has called us into his family, into community together. We're called to be part of a family that embraces one another, that forgives one another, that serves one another, that grows with one another, and a family that loves one another. Friends, it is so vital, so important, we not only know that we're part of the family of God, but that we live as family members. We are family. That's what he called us into. But is this how we're known out there? Is this what Christianity is known for? Is this our reputation, that we're the family of God? Francis Chan, noted pastor, author, speaker, he answered my question this way. He said, we are currently the most divided faith group on earth, and there isn't a close second. If you think I'm exaggerating, name another religion with more than just two or three factions. We have thousands of denominations and ministries, each believing their theology or methodology is superior. The saddest part of this is that our Savior was crucified to end our divisions, commands us to be unified, and says we will impact the world when we become one. In light of that, do you think our culture sometimes looks at us as Christians and sings as well? I'm confused. Are you part of the family of God? Oh, there's a lot of confusion out there. That's why Jesus reminded us. He said, by this will everyone know you're my disciples if you love one another. You see, love should define us. We should be known by our love for each other and for others. This is what we're called to, to love. In contrast, I think many Christians over the past few decades have defined what it means to following Jesus by having more knowledge. I mean, we're called to have more knowledge of the Bible, more knowledge of the scriptures. So it's not the knowledge part that's the bad part. It's the fact that when we just have knowledge that's not applied to ourselves, oh, it can be dangerous. When we have knowledge that's applied to everyone else but us, 
it can cause division, destruction, so much harm. It's why Paul wrote, he says, knowledge puffs up while love builds up. So basically, the level of our love then proves we have implemented what we have learned and therefore have grown spiritually together as God's family. Well, last weekend, we, we began this series by asking the question, how can you live for more? How can we live for more? Everyone wants to live for more. But the problem is so many people define more differently. I mean, for some, it's more fun. And that's why they live for their next vacation or the next sporting event. For others, it's more advancement. And that's why they work long hours and always have a reason why they need to work more. And for others, it's more knowledge. And so they read the scripture, they quote the scripture, but fail to apply the scriptures to their everyday lives. And so what we have is little application leads to very little love. So it's not that we need more. We need the right kind of more. And what's beautiful is that the members of the early church in the first century were focused on the right kind of more. And that's why I think for us, it's a really good idea for us to pattern our community after theirs. Because for them, the key that unlocked the door to such significance is found in the first three words of Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. Devoted means one's commitment to a pursuit through consistency and loyalty. The problem is we can be devoted to the wrong things. I can be very devoted to myself. I can be very devoted to my image. I can be very devoted to always being first. So what were they devoted to? Well, they devoted themselves to experiencing God through teaching and through fellowship. We're experiencing the teaching part right now. The application comes for all of us afterwards. The fellowship, well, that happens after the service, before the service, and throughout the week. They devoted themselves to experiencing God through teaching and fellowship, but also by growing together. Through breaking bread, we talked about last week, and through prayer. You see, a church that prays together stays together. And a church that breaks bread together grows together. In fact, last weekend we learned that the breaking of bread in the New Testament symbolized extending friendship towards another. And so you would have someone in your home, and you've done this. You've broken bread, the meal with them. And when you do, did that, you're telling them that you are my friend. I love you. I cherish you. Well, the breaking of bread also symbolized extending forgiveness towards another. So when you have been wronged, you might sit down with that person and break the bread of forgiveness with them. A powerful moment. It also symbolized remembering Christ's forgiveness for us, which is why we celebrate communion at least once a month around here. So what happened as a result then of the early Christians breaking the bread of love together? Well, the Bible says the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And that's good news, friends. The good news is that because Jesus took our sin upon himself at the cross, anyone, and I mean anyone who repents, confesses, and believes in him can become part of the family of God. A family marked by radical love, radical generosity, and spiritual growth. For as Jesus said, by this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. It's a beautiful verse. How many people have heard that verse before? Yeah, almost everyone. Here's the question, though. Have you ever examined the context of that verse? Why was it spoken? When was it spoken? Because it's a game changer. When were those words spoken? 
Well, when Jesus was actually breaking bread with his closest followers, his 12 disciples, his small group. Now, I don't know if you're in a small group, and if you are, I'm not sure who your group consists of, but if I'm gonna be honest, I sometimes wonder and think like, Jesus, I mean, really, what were you thinking sometimes when you put your small group together? Because there were some people that were in that small group. It's kind of surprising that he thought of them as being part of the family of God. I mean, after all, one small group member was a betrayer. Another small group member was a denier. And he was also the one known to speak first, think later, which caused all kinds of confusion and commotion. And you think your small group has problems. Their small group, I'll tell you what, riddled with all kinds of different things going on. So Jesus is with his small group, his closest followers. He's breaking bread with them together. Now, as the host of the meal back then, which is what Jesus was, he was the host. Well, the host always had the responsibility to decide beforehand where everyone would be seated. You've done this before, probably when you had Thanksgiving or Christmas at your home. You have a lot of people, and so you decide, because you know people are going to come and go, where do you want me to sit? And so you might put a name tag there just to kind of you know, bypass all of that, and you assign people seating arrangements. Well, back then, that seating arrangement carried much more significance. You see, back then, where you sat at the table said a lot about what the host thought about you. And the closer you sat to the host the more esteemed you were in his eyes. It's powerful. Now back then they sat at a U-shaped table. So think about a table that begins here and it would go all the way around and it would end over here. And everyone would sit, you know, basically reclining, leaning on their left, eating with their right. And so Jesus as the host, well, the host would always be over here. And you wanted to be as close to the host as possible. And so when you showed up, you were thankful to be invited to the meal. But in the back of your mind, you're going, I wonder where I'm going to be seated. And as you were, you know, seated here, perhaps, you're going, oh, that's pretty good, right? Here, you're like a little uncomfortable. And then by the time you're over here, you're going, oh, man. And the person here at the end, that's a bummer seat. Right? So Jesus is the host. He assigns the seating. And we know that, biblically and historically speaking, there were two seats of honor. One in front of the host and one directly behind the host. Where was John, for example? Where was he seated? Well, he was seated right next to Jesus. John tells us in, in chapter 13 that one of them, the disciples Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. So this was John's way of saying, I am John, I am the one that Jesus loved, and I was sitting right next to Jesus. I had like the best seat in the house, right? Now due to that, though, you have to wonder, the other disciples, they're probably a little bit jealous, but none more so than the apostle Peter. Because while Jesus plays John right next to him over here at the, you know, with the highest seats of honor, Jesus plays Peter way over here. The last seat, the one furthest away from Christ. The bummer seat, and think about that. He's over here and constantly looking directly across the table to who? Not just Jesus, but John. And he's thinking, you're over there, and I'm over here. What's going on? 
And then to add to all of that, there was actually everyone else could just enjoy the meal. But the person at the end, the person in the servant seat, the furthest one away from Christ, they had a job. And it was their job to wash the feet of everyone else present. Kind of a bummer role, right? And what we see in the Gospels is that, that Peter didn't want to do his job. He didn't want to do it. And so we see Jesus soon claiming Peter's job for himself. And Jesus starts washing the feet of everyone else instead. And Peter is fine with this, of course, until he comes to Peter and tries to wash his feet. And then Peter protests. He says, no, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus, sensing all the stubbornness, he responded by saying, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So Peter relents. He lets Jesus wash his feet. But inside, he's stewing. Because after all, John was placed in one seat of honor, well, another disciple was placed in the other seat of honor. And who was this disciple? None other than Judas himself. Ouch. And we know this because after Jesus told the group that one of them is going to betray him, he, he helps them to identify who that person would be. He says, it is the one whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the pieces of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Shortly afterwards, Judas left the room to betray him. And everyone began singing. I'm confused. Are you part of the family of God? They didn't really sing, but you kind of get the point, right? I mean, this is what they were thinking. It's what they were thinking. Well, after Judas departed, Jesus turned his attention to everyone else who was left. And it was then that he said those words. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Think about what they were thinking. I don't think anyone dared to say anything when they heard that, but some had to be biting their tongues. I'm sure someone in the room wanted to say, Jesus, I mean, come on now, one of your own disciples, Peter, I mean, he just argued with you and disrespected you in front of everyone else. And Judas, one of your closest friends, apparently, because you sat him in one of the highest seats of honor, he just left the meal to betray you. And if someone would have uttered those words, I'm sure Jesus would have responded, oh yeah, I know. But here's the thing. When you're devoted in community, love is a choice. Love is a choice. You see, love doesn't come by accident. Love doesn't show up when it feels like it. Love is a choice. It's a choice that says, you know, even though you've wronged me, even though I disagree with you, and even though it'd be easier for me to kind of huddle up with my own group or all by myself, I'm going to choose to live and love in community. One short but powerful poem said it this way. He drew a circle that shut me out. Heretic, rebel, a thing to flout. But love and I had the wit to win. We drew a circle and took him in. So even if someone in the community seems like a renegade, I'm going to choose to love them. And even if their actions hurt me to the core, I'm going to choose to love them more because this is what a Christian does. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Love is a choice. What choice are you making? What choice are you making?
I asked because Jesus wasn't done embodying his love for his small group or for Peter or for us. Because the next thing we know that just after Peter hears Christ's statement, then Peter responds with a question. He says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. And then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And you could cut the tension with a knife. And it's at this point that the rest of the group began looking at Peter. They began to sing, I'm surprised you're a part of the family of God. That's what they were thinking. They're thinking, Peter, you're a denier. How quickly we judge. You see, that's how humanly and naturally we want to respond. But when we truly follow Jesus, we love like Jesus. And when we're devoted in community, love is a choice. It's actually proof of our spiritual growth. Such an outcome, friends, results from someone who has done more than just learn what the scripture says. They actually do what the scripture says. And this causes everyone then to grow together. In fact, such growth lays the groundwork for an even greater love to be revealed because when you're devoted in community, love goes the distance. It's really easy to tell somebody, oh, I love you. Much harder to walk the road. Much harder to walk the road with them. When you're devoted in community, love goes the distance. And that's why in the very next chapter, chapter 14, Jesus comforts his disciples, even though he's the one who actually needs the comfort. And in chapter 15, Jesus shows them how to remain attached to him since they soon will be tempted to be drawn away from him. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. It's why in chapter 16, Jesus loves them despite their cluelessness. And it's why in chapter 17, Jesus stops everything and prays intently for them and for all of us. He said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. When you think about it, Jesus included Peter in that prayer, even though he knew what Peter was about ready to do. And even so, Jesus loved him. Loved him. Years later, the apostle Paul would write it this way. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So love that goes the distance bears all things. It doesn't lash out or seek revenge under mistreatment. Love that goes the distance believes all things. It sees what Christ might see, not what I see naturally right in front of me. Love that goes the distance hopes all things. It places hope in God and how he will work all things together for good. And a love that goes the distance endures all things. It doesn't wrong in response to being wrong. You see, this was the kind of love that Jesus was praying that we would embrace before he embraced the cross for us. Prayer and bread, they grow us together in community. You might be thinking, okay, Phil, I heard a bit about that prayer, but the bread? I mean, where does the bread show up? Hold on a little while longer, because the bread is being baked. Even when we see how in chapter 18, Peter does it. He denies Christ three times. 
which lays the groundwork for what we see in chapter 19. Jesus is crucified and he is buried. And then in chapter 20, Jesus rises from the dead and then appears to his disciples. And that was good news, a powerful moment. But if you're Peter, it's a humbling moment. It's a difficult moment. I mean, have you ever been guilty of something and everyone else in the room knew it, but nobody said a word? The silence can be deafening while guilt grows like a weed. But now the time had come for Jesus to display his love for Peter even more. For when you're devoted in community, love is a choice. When you're devoted in community, love goes the distance. And because love goes the distance, Jesus taught a small group the third part of that lesson. When you're devoted in community, love radically forgives. It forgives. Remember now, Jesus had already prayed for Peter. He had already prayed. And now the time had come for him to break bread with Peter. So some time passes, and early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. So at this point now in the encounter, each disciple is scurrying about the boat, trying their best to kind of collect all the fish that were there, and then it happened. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's John's way of saying, I am the disciple that Jesus loves, and here's what I said to Peter. And think about this if you're Peter. You're still probably locked in, right? You're still probably remembering that moment when you were over here. John was over there. And I'm not sure, humanly speaking, if Peter was all that excited to hear much of what John had to say. But when he said it, boy, did it catch his attention. John said, it is the Lord. It is the Lord. And what happens next? Well, Peter did what he always did, right? He acted before thinking. He jumps into the water without his friends, without any fish. And all the disciples in the boat are like looking, going, what's up with Peter? Why is he doing that now? And in the midst of the confusion, Jesus then tells them to bring some of the fish with them. And, and Peter hears that, so he swims back to the boat, gets back in the boat with them, and they all approach the shore together. And what happened next? Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. And what do we know about bread? It symbolized extending friendship towards another. Jesus is on the shore holding bread. And he's looking at Peter saying, you are my friend. I love you. I cherish you. Bread also symbolizes extending forgiveness towards another. And Jesus is on the shore holding bread saying, oh, Peter, you've wronged me. But I'm going to forgive you. And bread symbolizes extending Christ's forgiveness for us, which is something that Peter would do for the rest of his life. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Well, yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. 
The third time he said to them, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it was at this point, I think, that Peter was just starting to get it. One forgiving question and instruction for each of Peter's denials. And even so, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, well then, feed my sheep. Friends, when you're devoted in community, love is a choice. When you're devoted in community, love goes the distance. And when you're devoted in community, love radically forgives. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to break bread with? I asked because it was at this very moment that Peter finally received it. He received the forgiveness of the Lord. And I'd like to think that even though it's not in the text, then in response, Peter looked around. He said, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join tears with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. And friend, you may very well be part of the family of God as well. And if so, are you pursuing what it looks like to be a family member? Here and online, are you pursuing what it looks like to be a family member? In light of COVID and coming out of this, I mean, so many people are just struggling with any sense of community. They just want to stay home. They don't really want to go to work anymore and see all those people. They can just get their work done at home. Everybody is becoming so independent, so it's kind of detached from one another. And the same applies to being part of the family of God. Oh, it's just me and Jesus. No, no, it's, it's Jesus and us. We are his family so what does it look like for you to take consistent steps towards embracing family, embracing a small group? See, as we grow in community, love defines the community and shines throughout the world. As we grow in community, love defines the community and shines throughout the world. You see, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. And friends, we can't grow in our love for one another if we're not with one another. So Christ's call is clear. He wants us to grow together. He wants us to grow together in him, and he wants us to grow together as we learn how to love one another. It's part of being the family of God. And I want to give you some, some steps, some applications here for how you might do that. And so I'm going to invite some leaders up front. Marcy, Shauna, and John, these are leaders here who lead various parts of our small groups here. And an opportunity for us all to grow in community together. And so let's start. Marcy, can you tell us about some opportunities that we have? Sure. So one of the great things here is there are many, many opportunities to connect you in community. We offer several options for groups. And the first one I'm going to talk about is Rooted. Rooted is a great small group experience where you will learn the rhythms of spiritual growth. And this is a great first step. And so if you haven't taken Rooted, I strongly encourage you to do so. It is a great first step to a small group experience. And then we also offer short-term groups that meet together 
for a short period of time to study a particular subject or do an activity together. And so if that's right for you, there's the opportunities available for that. And then there's life groups. And that is the core of spiritual growth, where it's eight to 12 people that get together, they study the word, they pray together, they grow together in community, and they take care of each other. And we have many opportunities for you to join a life group. So check out that QR code up there. And then finally, as you experience life challenges, we offer care groups. We offer grief share for those that have lost a loved one. We offer divorce care if you're going through separation or divorce. We offer marriage restoration, AA, a lot of opportunities for you to connect to the body of Christ. So check those out, out those opportunities. My goal is to make sure every single one of you who call this church home, that we connect you into a group. Now I'm gonna turn it over to John. Thanks, Marcy. I'm John Hartz. I'm the men's ministry coordinator here, and uh, I'm really excited just to walk beside men as they get to know Jesus better and experience the fruit of the Spirit and become doers of the Word. And one of the things we've been doing lately is some projects in the back of the property already, getting our hands dirty, working on some fire pits and uh, the uh, prayer garden area. I don't know if anybody has walked through that. It's a uh, a beautiful area that we've been working on, and so we're going to be doing some of those projects in the future. But we have our men's ministry uh, Bible study coming up in September that I'm really excited about. It's going to be about how to read your Bible, and it's very foundational. And so I want to encourage men. I know there are men that have been in their Bibles for decades, um, but as we do men's ministry, I want to encourage men that become a part of it to becoming not just to receive, but also to give. So if you have great experience and knowledge of the Bible, please come and be a part of that because you can share that with other men. We also have an event on October 1st. It's a Saturday morning that we are co-hosting with Zion Global Ministries, which is a church in Westchester that is primarily African-American congregation. And we're gonna be getting together as a community and talking about race and just being together as uh, the, the diverse community that God has um, as his family, that he is in his kingdom. We're gonna be uh, just enjoying some time together in that. And I'll be sending out emails about each of these things, but one final thing I do wanna mention, we have a huge email list that has ballooned over the uh, past few years, and I'm trying to call that down right now to people that are really interested and get an accurate idea of who wants to be a part of men's ministry. So I'll be sending out an email at the beginning of this week, and I would like you to please respond to that if you want to continue to receive the emails in the future. Uh, that way we'll have an accurate idea of who in the church wants to be a part of what we're doing. So I'm excited about that. Come visit me at the tables in the back. All right, ladies, it's your turn. Get out your phones. Be ready. I'm going to have some QR codes coming at you. I am Shauna Goldstein. I'm the Women's Ministry Coordinator here at MCC. I've been on staff for about a year. And if I don't know you yet, I want to. Please come introduce yourself to me. I want to get to know you. I want to figure out where we can plug you in. We have all kinds of things from taco night to worship bonfire uh, to Bible study and more which I'll be flashing up in a moment, but all of the things that we do, we have a couple purposes that we try to keep in mind. And it's to 
just connect you to each other and to God, and then to equip and empower you to impact your families and your communities. So some of the offerings that we have this fall that will do that, first, our women's Bible study. It is how to read your Bible. We've got some continuity between men's and women's ministry here that we're really excited about. Just working on fundamentals, but also taking you deeper. I promise, if you've been in your Bible one time or a million times, you will still benefit from this study, and we want you there. We'll get the overarching picture of Scripture, how to study more effectively, and we'll dive into God's word together in community. And then next, we've got MOPS, which is for all of you moms of littles. So if you've got a young one, scan this QR code. Once it brings up the drop-down menu, you'll be able to choose an option that works best for you. Uh, we have most of our meetings in the mornings, but we also have evening opportunities to connect as well. And a new option, MOPS Bible Study, that really will equip you to teach the Bible to your kids. Finally, we've got our Just Moved group. If you're new to the area or know someone who is, this is the group. So we will just help you learn about Cincinnati, connect to others, and plant your roots here so that you can flourish where God has planted you. We have cards that talk about this group out at our table in the atrium. I'd love for you to grab a couple cards and give them to someone new who's moved in near you so you can help us get the word out. Ladies, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey or your hectic life, we have a place for you. So please come join us in the thriving women's ministry of MCC. We thank them. And remember, a church that prays together stays together. We have prayer partners up here after the service to pray with you uh, about deeds you have, concerns, or even great things that are going on. We'd love to pray with you and encourage you to, to avail yourself of that opportunity. Will you stand with me? I want to leave us now with the words that Jesus spoke, that Jesus said to us, let us never forget them. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So brothers, sisters, friends, may your love be strong. May your love be tenacious. May your love be devoted. And may your love be kind. May your love be forgiving. May your love go the distance. May your love be radical. And may your love be rooted in Christ's love for you. Go now in his grace, in his peace, and in his love. See you next weekend. Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.